When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. They're delighted to say right now that uh, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, is with us here on Talk Radio. Good morning to you, Health Secretary. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Very well indeed. An early start. It seems we can barely get you off our screens or our radios at the moment. Um, Let's uh, let's talk to you about, first of all, about the testing. Uh, This announcement yesterday that uh, the testing target, uh, uh, 100,000, got to hit it in six days' time. You're confident you are going to hit that capacity now at 51,000. But crucially, not as many tests are being carried out. About about half the number of tests that you've got the capacity for being carried out. You're now going to expand these tests to millions of key workers tell us who is eligible to apply to have one of these tests and what the tests involve well that's that's right julia so we've expanded capacity and we've now got capacity for over fifty thousand tests a day and that's expanding rapidly um and um that's all aiming at the hundred thousand target which we're on track to hit next week Uh, but not as many people have been coming forward as we expected Previously, you had to go through your employer in order to get a test, uh, unless you were in hospital or a care home and needed one. But now we've uh, brought in a new system so that from now, if you are an essential worker, which is this broadly the same definition as if you're allow- if you can send your children to school. Um, we're talking about uh, obviously all health and care workers, but also teachers, people in the medicine supply chain, police. Um, prison officers, um, then um, then you can apply for a test directly on the gov.uk website, uh, get that test booked, a bit like if you were booking a, um, uh, a, a hotel room or a, uh, or a flight um, in the days when we used to go on flights. Um, <laughs> and, those, um, yes. yeah. um, and then you can get your test and then the test result will be text back, texted back to you. So it's a, it's a much simpler system. Uh, that people can just go and book their appointment themselves. Okay, and this is a swab. This is at the back of the nose, back of the throat. It's, it's actually really not not the most right. pleasant test, but it's not for people who think they've had it. It's not for antibodies. It's antigens. It's if, do if, you if, think you have been exposed to it and have it now? Exactly. If you have symptoms, if you have a fever uh, or a persistent a cough, uh, then you can get tested now and find out if you've got coronavirus. Also. If you are in the household of a an essential worker and they can't go to work because of the isolation rules, um, then you can go and get a test. So, for instance, you know, if you're a nurse and um, your daughter has got the uh, who you live with has got the symptoms, then you can go and get her tested. So it's all about helping uh, essential workers get back to work. 
And are you just a simple yes or no? Are you now convinced that you will hit your testing target? Not testing capacity. That, was, that wasn't the target. 100,000 tests carried out every day in six days' time. Are you going to hit that target? Um, yes, I, I, we think that we're going to hit it. I, and um, I, I've thought all along that I was going to hit it. I know people have raised an eyebrow at that. But the plan was always to build the capacity and then and build the IT system, frankly. That's been the thing that has um, we've needed. And that landed um, yesterday and we opened it at uh, six o'clock this morning. So you can now go on the gov.uk website and you can book yourself that test. So getting getting the getting the numbers through without the IT system was uh, was um, proving to be a hold up. Okay. Uh, but that IT system is now in place. All right. Well, I certainly we, I think we wish you well on that. This is going to be a crucial part of our exit strategy, isn't it? It's no doubt well, at we all. Are the first all window- we're all on the same side in this, and testing is really, really important for controlling this uh, uh, this virus in the in the medium term. Uh, absolutely, but there's there, there's a key part of the exit strategy. The first minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, yesterday is reported that she's put quite a lot of pressure on your government uh, to uh, actually give us some more detail about this exit strategy. She said you need to treat the public as if you know as they're grown ups and give them some information about what an exit strategy would look like. When are we going to see an idea of what life could be like? When when we do eventually come out of the full lockdown? Yes, well, we put the, um, the the five tests that we need to meet in order to be able to change the lockdown measures. Um, we, we set them out in public last Thursday. And uh, I'm glad that the Scottish government have put out a document which essentially uh, is along the same lines. Uh, after all, we have been moving as one United Kingdom on this uh, with, uh, uh, with you know, all four nations uh, moving together, so we. So when we she, out... no, so when she says things like people, pupils possibly going back to school on a part-time basis, so half the number of children in school at the same time. When that sort of is that something that the UK government is looking at for schools in England as well? Well, we'll consider all options and um, make sure that we, you know, we we try to get the uh, the judgments right as to what can be restarted, uh, restarted when in a way that is safe in a way that is safe, but we're not going to be pushed into making changes sooner than it's safe to do so. And I think people understand that and people have been incredibly supportive of the measures that are needed because everybody can see that they're needed. Although the number of deaths uh, has been lower than in um, in recent weeks, it was still over 600 people yesterday. And so we, we yes, of course, we're... Uh, we're monitoring that all the time, and uh, and I'm very glad to see that the that uh, that number isn't going up anymore. Uh, but we cannot move too soon before it's safe to do so. Okay, can we move too soon on getting a decision on face masks? Sage met earlier this week. The government presumably knows what its position is by now. Are we going to be given advice to wear face coverings of some kind or not? Well, ag- again, on that, the advice um, uh, from the government hasn't changed. Um, of course, we keep all these things under review. And because this is a novel virus, because it's new, uh, we're constantly updating the science but as we learn more from here and from around the world. So the scientists have, um, uh, have been looking at this, this question of face masks throughout. They've, they've, um, clearly, the, the, the most important setting where you, for face masks is in hospitals where you need the really the high-spec face masks. Um, and... Um, uh, 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 and, and also in care homes, 
Uh, and then in some other environments as well, we, no, we but, recommend. But, but with all due respect, we have... Secretary, we, we all know that and we understand all the pressures. But but we know that SAGE met this week and we know the government's keeping this under review. And again, very sensible to keep it under review. And if the evidence changes, we, we should change policy. Has the evidence changed and have we changed policy? And if so, when are we going to find out about it in the public? We have, we, that was kind of what I was trying to say in a long-winded way. I apologise. We haven't changed policy. <laughs> The policy on face masks isn't going to change. We haven't had the announcement yet, so we don't. No, know. no, but that, no, we haven't changed it. We always keep these things under review. Okay. okay, is everything waiting really for Boris Johnson to get back in the saddle? We understand he's going to be back in number ten on Monday, able to actually uh, be at at his desk. Is everything in terms of the exit strategy, decisions on face masks? Is a lot of this actually just waiting for the Prime Minister to be back at work full time? Uh, no, uh, because we said last Thursday when we extended. Uh, the um, the measures uh, that that would extend for uh, three weeks, uh, and so uh, and then and we'd reconsider again. So you know we we've we've you know the the information just isn't there the, the, to make those make changes to the uh, the measures because the virus is still too prevalent in the country, and that's the substance of it. Um, the Prime Minister is uh, is so good that he's recovering. It'll be uh, I can't wait for him to be back. Uh, he's um, uh, you know he 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 will. I I know that he's getting better, um, and um, and and that'll be great. Okay. Can I also ask you about Donald Trump overnight at a White House briefing? He suggested that research into whether coronavirus might be treated by injecting disinfectant into the body should uh, carry out, be carried out, and also irradiating patients with UV light under the skin. Um, I just wondered what you made of that advice and if that was research that the British government was looking into as well. Uh, that isn't anything that my uh, clinical advisors have brought to my attention. What, what do you make of that advice? I have absolutely no idea. I'd want to ask the medics before saying anything. I haven't heard that he said that. Um, you haven't heard. Well, and... he's, he's, he's on record as saying it at a, at a press conference. So it's all it's, it's yeah, on video. You can I, see it on Twitter. No, no, as a general, no, no, as a general rule, do you take your advice from medics rather than the President of the United States? I, I listen to the chief medical officer on the uh, medical advice and his deputies, and they're an absolutely brilliant team. I listen to Public Health England. I look at science from around the world. And um, uh, and the chief scientific advisor here, and we make sure that the decisions that we made are make are all based on the science. Okay, and just finally, a Sky poll yesterday uh, carried out by YouGov uh, looked at uh, how much how much the what the public were feeling about the lockdown, and it's actually immense widespread support for the lockdown oh. of the measures the government has taken. There are some issues of trust, though. Uh, although uh, Boris Johnson, Chris Whitty, Sir Patrick Valance uh, came out well on trust, the NHS overall, uh, you were were net negative uh, in terms of of trust uh, from the public. Why do you think that is? I haven't seen that, and frankly, uh, that's. Um not what I spend my day doing. What I spend my day doing is trying to get this country out of this uh, out of this situation that we're in by controlling the uh, virus. Okay, I mean, I, I, absolutely, as you should be. I don't think anyone who sees you at these press conferences every day would would have any idea, any, any suggestion that you were not working round the clock. I think we can see a level of exhaustion there. Um, do, do you? Do, do you think that we are going to be uh, out of this uh, lockdown in a matter of weeks or months? Just finally. Uh, it's just so tempting to um, to speculate. But no, the truth is that nobody knows because it depends on how people behave and it depends on the progress of the virus. And I know that that is a um, I know that's a boring answer, uh, but it is the truth. And it's so an we've just answer. got it. we've got to keep it and we've got to keep the measures in place until it's safe to change them. 
Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at Osea Malibu.com Online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app Talk Radio It appears that black people are dying with coronavirus in English hospitals at almost twice the rate of white Britons. But there are stark disparities in ethnic mortality rates across the board. Different Asian groups, different black groups as well. Uh, We're going to be talking about that right now with Trevor Phillips, OBE. He's the former chair of the Equality and Human Rights Commission and has now been tasked by the government uh, to actually look into uh, what is going on here and advise into a government review into whether those from black and minority ethnic backgrounds are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julian. All right, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the actual facts then. Let's let's go into this. There's been talk for some weeks about this. Um, that that we, we, yeah. it was very noticeable, wasn't it, when we saw photographs of the uh, the frontline workers, the doctors and the nurses who lost their lives in the NHS in the very early stages of this, and how many of them, the first ten, were uh, ethnic minorities of the doctors, and this raised a lot of concerns that that something was happening, which meant that ethnic minorities were being hit harder. Sadiq Khan, the uh, London mayor. Uh, so talked about the injustice uh, of uh, people from black and ethnic minority communities uh, being hit harder from COVID-19. What is the evidence and why do we think it is the case? Well, first of all, I, I should say credit to Public Health England because uh, behind the scenes, I think they've been bothered about this for some time. And the chief medical officer, I think, has been talking to them for a few weeks. We, we uh, started a discussion with them a couple of weeks ago because we um, do a lot of work for local authorities and for police. And one of the things that was clearly emerging from the, the data that we were providing to local authorities is that, that, that 
the incident of infection lined up very clearly with the uh, minority present in different local authorities. So um, that was the first sign that there was something not quite right here. Secondly, we did um, uh, a, my team, uh, the data analytics team in our company, Weber Phillips, uh, we did an analysis by local authority, which we published on Monday, and it was absolutely clear that there is a relationship between minority presence and infection. But more importantly, even than that, that this didn't just uh, line up along the lines of poverty or overcrowding. So, for example, uh, the difference between uh, areas where there were a lot of people of African background and Caribbean backgrounds was quite significant. And that's supported by the evidence uh, unearthed by the Times today. Uh, it is also the case, both in our study and also the Times work today, that the Bangladeshi population, which is the poorest and most overcrowded, is actually the least likely to be infected by uh, coronavirus or to die from coronavirus. So there are a lot of mysteries here which we do not currently understand, and that is really going to be at the heart of the uh, investigation and the review that we're helping public health yeah. to undertake. But because that's it. I mean, although on the first glance, I mean, a number of people were saying, "Oh, again, like Sadiq Khan, this is an injustice." The implication being that there was some uh, way that uh, people were being treated differently if they came from different ethnic minorities. Uh, but uh, but actually, a lot of people were looking at the evidence, and certainly a lot of the ex- experts I've spoken to in the last few weeks on the show have said, look, if you look at the places that have had the biggest uh, uh, outbreaks, London, the West Midlands, very high ethnic minority population. So you're obviously going to see a you know, disparate number of ethnic minorities getting the uh, virus, more likely, as you say, to live in overcrowded homes, more likely to have frontline jobs, the sort of jobs that people have in, in unfortunately, lower economic and social classes. Also, the, the, the health, underlying health uh, issues. We know that obesity and diabetes rates, that's a big issue in terms of people's uh, morbidity rates with COVID-19, much, much higher in, in many um, uh, black and Asian groups than across the white population as a whole. But then, as you point to, the disparity between different Asian groups and different black groups um, it makes it much more complicated. And as you said, the fact that the Bangladeshis known to live in overcrowded houses, being the poorest demographic um, and, and living in many large, large, large population in East London, very overcrowded yeah. conditions, um, not not dying. Um, is there is there a lot of evidence that this virus, like any other coronavirus or any other virus, does actually tackle um, the different, you know, different, uh, well, have an effect on, on different genetic makeups? And we know there are some diseases yeah. that sickle cell, which have a, they, they yeah. affect different races differently. Is there any evidence that viruses do actually hit people of different races differently? There is some suspicion. And, you know, I'm not biomedics. I'm, I'm a stats guy, really. Uh, I'm a, I'm an information geek. Uh, there is some suggestion by the, the doctors that there is something like that going on. But I have to say that the statistical evidence doesn't really support that. Um, what uh, what we normally talk of as, as racial groups like a you know South Asian people or black people like me um, are in scientific terms described as phenotypes people who look kind of pretty much the same. The problem that we've got with what we're seeing here is that within phenotypes like black people there are big differences. Uh, according to where people come from. And this is not just a British issue. There's some evidence that we've seen coming out of Sweden, which shows that there are quite big differences between uh, different African groups. Uh, there, the big uh, losers, as it were, uh, or the big risk is amongst Somalis. 
what we think is probably more likely to be true is that um, what we're seeing are the effects of, first of all, different age profiles. So, for example, Caribbeans are much older in this country on average than Africans. So the Times data today says that uh, Caribbean people like me are uh, 69 out of 100,000 mortality rate, whereas Africans are just 27, i.e. people like me are three times as likely to die from this as at the moment uh, as our African cousins. What we also think is uh, probably, if you like, a suspect factor is here is occupation. Uh, what is probably undoubtedly true is that some ethnic minority groups work in areas where they are regularly in contact with random selections of the public and larger numbers of the public. So Caribbean people who work in transport, for example, uh, for London Underground and so on, constantly in, in as it were, in risk, at risk of catching the, the disease. That's what we think is happening. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be examining some of these patterns much more closely. And, you know, like any scientist, I think the truth of the matter is uh, we can't give an explanation right now. We have to be prepared to be surprised by what the evidence tells us. And I would say that there are two lessons out of this. Don't jump to conclusions. And unfortunately, some of our political friends, that's what they specialize in. It's not helpful here. And secondly, one of the lessons we should learn is that we just, the information regime that's imposed on this country, which essentially forbids the collection of ethnicity data, has put us at a massive disadvantage here. We ought to have this data at our fingertips. Right well, now, I'm, a, I'm surprised that we don't. I can't think I've filled in a public a, a film a form for anything in recent years, even if I'm using the local library that doesn't ask my ethnicity. Yeah, but you're not allowed to keep it. Uh, the ah. information. Why are they asking it? it then? Pardon? Why are they asking for it if they're not keeping it and doing it for something useful? Well, there are different there are different reasons. But this is not the pro- this is not the fault of your local authority. The Information Commissioner's Office defines ethnicity, unlike gender as sensitive personal data. So your local authority isn't really allowed to keep uh, a flag, if you like, on your library ticket that says you are what you are. And that means that when we want that information, we actually have to come back and ask you, whereas we don't have to ask that about gender. And as a consequence, today, we literally cannot really understand any of these patterns without going out to do some new research i think this one of the big lessons we have now is that we've been far too sensitive about these issues of race and it's now put us at a massive disadvantage and put at least one big section of the community uh, at deep deep risk just finally you did say that we shouldn't jump to conclusions and you said it's not helpful the conclusion, I'm going to bring this back up again because I was very angry about this. Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, saying that we need to tackle this injustice. He used the word injustice, that uh, ethnic minorities were dying at a higher rate than white people. As you pointed out, Bangladesh is actually dying at a lower rate than white people. Uh, it, it affects different, uh, different ethnic groups differently. But do you think that is a case of someone jumping to conclusions? Was it helpful for Sadiq Khan to refer to this as an injustice? Well, you're not going to take me down that road, Julia. Here I'm working as a scientist rather than as somebody in politics. All I can say is I suspect that the mayor was working with the information and advice that he had been given, and um, it was certainly incomplete, and I suspect in some respects uh, incorrect. 
Um, and I would just advise everybody in the public domain to just think before they speak on this particular issue, because not only is it, of course, uh, damaging in terms of public health, but we know if we start to get into a situation where we talk about different ethnic groups in a way that is incorrect, we know that the effect of that will be politically and socially divisive, and we just don't need that at the moment. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. The World Health Organization uh, has said that they believe that uh, uh, something like up to half of all the coronavirus deaths across Europe will be in care homes. A very, very big concern of those of us who do have elderly relatives in care homes. Let's talk to Nadra Ahmed, OBE, about this. She's the executive chair of the National Care Association and very kindly joins us once again. Good morning to you, Nadra. Hello. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, I mean, th- that's a really stark statement from the World Health Organization. It was the uh, regional director for Europe, uh, Hans Klug, who said there was a deeply concerned picture. Uh, now, this this first emerged didn't he, in Italy, uh, where it would appear that uh, actually a huge number of deaths just hadn't been accounted for and were happening in care homes. We're now seeing it in the UK with, uh, we believe, you know, thousands of, of deaths having happened and, and really not being included, in the, certainly not in the daily hospital death toll, but uh, not perhaps even, even being included in the COVID-19 deaths, simply because no one's been getting tested. Uh, testing. Um, why do you think we are seeing such a death toll in our care homes? Is it just purely because we are looking at people who are themselves elderly, many underlying health problems, and therefore the most vulnerable to the virus? Well, I think that's exactly what it is, Julia. I mean, it was identified from the very beginning that this was the group that needed to be shielded um, and um, to prevent the virus. Um, from um, infecting anybody in those services because they already have underlying health conditions. They're in care homes, which are pretty much mini hospitals now anyway, since the the move has happened from, you know, when the the long-stay wards were closed. What we we have is we're looking after people with acute uh, medical health care needs very often in our services which we never did before a residential home to many people initially was uh, like a cream tea society people you know there were retired ladies and gentlemen what we now have is that that the people coming into our services are pretty much um, uh, there because they they can't live alone Um, they're unsafe uh, because of their multiple healthcare conditions, so very often that's that you know the conditions like dementia, which we know about. And I, I suppose one of the challenges we have is with the prevention agenda in a care service is that how do you tell somebody with dementia that they've got to keep a safe distance? You know, how do you actually explain to them that self-isolation is what we're talking about? So very quickly, that prevention needed to kind of really take take place and and that included all that PPE that included the testing that needed to happen and I think we've been far too slow far too reactive because the calls were there from the very beginning and I think what challenges me in all of this is that the having identified uh, that this is a group that needed to be shielded it was it, we were forgotten. I think that you know the, the the generation that we look after, and you know of course social care also looks after people who are younger. Um, so you know it's a whole package. No mention of how we were going to deal with the issue. So it's, it's fine raising the issue, but we yeah. then have to have a plan. Online, 
on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.